Chapter Twenty of Grace Harlowe's Golden Summer by Jessie Graham Flower. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty: The Last Chance. Despite her midnight vigil, Grace rose before seven o'clock the next morning. On the previous afternoon, Jean had stated that he would come early to Mrs. Gray's the following morning to bid them farewell before starting on his search for Tom. Eight o'clock found herself and Elfreda Briggs walking rapidly up Chapel Hill. They found the old hunter had stolen a march on them, however. When they entered the library, he was already there, in earnest conversation with Mrs. Gray. "'I have wait for you,' he said, bidding them acquaint bonjour. "'But now the time grows short. The train she run at nine o'clock. It is now that we must say the au revoir. Not long and I see the camp of Monsieur David.' It is good that you have telegraphed the young man. Oh, Jean will do his best. Le bon Dieu will do the rest. The hunter reverently crossed himself. I have a letter for you, Jean, to give to Tom. Grace was wearing her most hopeful face as she gave the cherished letter into the old man's keeping. When you have found Tom, and I know that you will, tell him that I am waiting for him, and give him this letter. It shall be of a sacred trust, Jean assured, crossing himself again. Be of the brave art, mademoiselle, for you and Monsieur Tom, the happiness is near. Now it is time to go. Warmly shaking hands with the two for whom he was about to do his best, Jean turned to Alfreda and offered his hand with, I am the lucky man to have meet such good friend to mademoiselle Grace. Thank you, Jean. Alfreda coloured with pleasure at the sincere tribute. Some day, when Tom Gray has been found, and you are back in Oakdale, we'll pay a visit to your cabin. Then I'll tell you what a splendid friend Grace Harlowe has been to me. It shall be as Mademoiselle says, responded Jean gallantly. Accompanied as far as the veranda by the three women, Jean made his final adieus and strode down the pebbled drive to the gate, a sturdy, purposeful figure despite his years. To the three who watched him almost out of sight, the determined set of his broad shoulders in itself seemed to presage the success of his mission. It was certainly nice in Jean to say what he did to me about my being your friend, was Alfreda's abrupt comment. After saying good-bye to Mrs. Gray, the two young women started down Chapel Hill toward home. It was the highest compliment that he could pay me. If there had been time, I'd have liked to tell him a few of the reasons for it. I guess he would have understood that when I had special cause to be loyal to you. I don't mean by that that anybody would have to have special cause to be your friend. One would only have to meet you once, Grace Harlowe, to know that your friendship would be the kind worth having. That is, if one had any sense. That time I plumed myself down in your seat when we were bound for Overton College to begin our freshman year. I was too much wrapped up in myself to know how lucky I was. Isn't it queer, though, how things like that are often the means by which we begin the staunchest friendships? Yes, it is strange. If we hadn't met on the train that day in that way, you might have decided to go to another boarding place instead of taking up with Mrs. Elwood's offer to you to share Miriam's room. Then very likely we might never have been acquainted. There were ever so many girls at Overton College during the six years I spent there whom I never came to know really well. Grace looked regretful. But they all knew you, was the staunch retort. You are as much of an institution there now as Harlow House is. Your name has become a household word at Overton College, 
Emma and I were speaking of that very thing at the reunion. She said that if she was manager of Harlow House for the next twenty years, she had never come to be known as well there as you were in the first time you spent at Overton. Emma is a wily old flatterer, and so are you, laughed Grace. Just because you girls like me, you think the whole world ought to fall in line and worship me. Her bantering tone changed to seriousness as she continued. Not that I don't appreciate your affection and love you with all my heart for it. Neither of you ever stops to think of how much credit you both deserve. Sometimes I wonder what I ever did to bring me so many true friends. I never properly realized their worth until this summer. Living in the shadow has taught me a great deal. The very fact that all my friends have stood by me so firmly has made me see that I owe it to them to be strong and steadfast through all. It has taught me, too, that I can't afford to be selfish. When Tom first went away, I used to think that if he had never came back, there wouldn't be anything worth living for ever again. But it came to me by degrees that such a viewpoint was utterly selfish, that I had a great deal to live for father and mother first of all then mrs gray and my friends so i made up my mind that if worse came to worse i would devote myself to them more than ever and thus try to make up for my own loss of course you would agreed elfreda with a ready tenderness that arose from the emotion that had welled up within her at grace's unconscious revelation of unselfishness no one knows that better than i know it i wonder what the postman has brought this morning Grace had decided that it was high time to lead the talk away from herself. She had spoken to Elfreda with utter frankness of her inner resolve, yet she could not bear to continue longer on the subject. It presented too vividly the possibility of Tom's non-return, and she had schooled herself not to dwell upon such a contingency. We'll soon know. They were now within a short distance of the Harlow's home. I hope Ma hasn't decided that I ought to go back to law school and written me to that effect grumbled Alfreda. Now I'm here, I'd like to keep on being here until... She paused. Until we hear good news, finished Grace softly. I wish you would stay with me as long as you can, Alfreda. When the good news comes, I'd like you to be here to share it. Oh, I'll stay, assured Alfreda, provided I can win Ma over to my views. It will be the same as using my powers of eloquence to convince the doubtful jury that the prisoner is innocent. There is nothing like practice she reminded her wide boyish grin in mischievous evidence have we a heavy mail this morning mother was grace's eager inquiry as she and elfreda came up the front steps to the veranda established in a wide-armed rocking-chair her eyes busy with the reading of her own mail mrs harlow looked up smilingly and she said heavy enough to keep you both busy for a while i didn't count your letters they're on the library table in the living-room I sorted them into two piles. Alfreda's was the highest. Thank you, dear. Blowing a gay little kiss to her mother, Grace made for the living room, with Alfreda close behind her. I ought to receive a few dozen letters, commented Alfreda. Nearly every one of my correspondents have been lagging and languishing. Running hastily over the stack of letters bearing her name, she separated one of them from the rest. Here's a letter from Ma. Now we'll see whether it's back to law school for J. Alfreda. Oh, here's one from Miriam. Having been equally busy with her own mail, Grace drew up a chair before the table. Slipping into it, she soon became absorbed in what Miriam had written her. 
Seated opposite her, Elfrida perused the letter from her mother with the anxious eyes of one about to receive sentence. In the middle of it, she uttered a cluck of satisfaction. Excuse me for interrupting you, but I just wanted to tell you that Ma is a wingless angel. I don't have to do the convincing act at all. She says I may stay with you until I either wear out my welcome or get ready to come home. Isn't that a glorious message? Hooray! Elfrida waved her maternal parent's unexpected missive of leniency on high. Glorious indeed. Finishing the short but interesting letter from Miriam, Grace shoved it across the table to Elfrida. Read it, she commanded. I know Miriam would be willing that you should. As her roommate of long standing, you are entitled to special privileges. <coughs> Thank you. Elfrida pounced upon the proffered letter with avidity while Grace continued with her own correspondence. Counting her letters over, she found she had received nine. As was her usual custom, she had begun with the top one, which was from Miriam, and read them in the order in which they were stacked. Elfrida, on the contrary, scattered broadcast on the table the whole ten letters she had received. She picked and chose with the air of a connoisseur, keeping up a running fire of ridiculous remarks between the letters that moved Grace to frequent laughter, but did not distract her attention to any agree from her own affairs. She had become too familiar with Elfrida's always entertaining methods of doing things to be other than amused by them. The contents of her own mail filled her with a quiet joy. One and all, so far as she had read, her friends breathed undying unfriendship and deep devotion to herself. There was a long letter from Eleanor Savelli, who was summering in Colorado with her father and aunt. It held the glad tidings that Miss Nevin and herself intended to come to Oakdale for the winter. Her father's concert tour would soon begin. She did not expect to travel with him that winter. She was anxious to come back to Heartsease for a long rest. Much in the letter was of a deeply sympathetic nature, relating to Grace's misfortune. She begged Grace to inform her at once should matters take a happier turn, and hoped before long to be with her. There was also a letter from Mabel Allison, confiding the news of her engagement to Arnold Evans. She was very happy, she declared. Formal announcement of her betrothal to Arnold had not been made yet, but Grace would soon receive a card to that effect. Mabel Ashe wrote much sympathy, her letter fairly bristling with her lovable, vivid personality. She ended with the jubilant news that she had sold the novel on which she had worked so long and patiently to complete to a well-known book-publishing firm. She had named it The Guardian of the Flame. She styled it as the story of a woman's heart, and her publishers believed it would be very successful. The Emerson twins sent her a funny little epistle in which they had taken turns in the writing of its many paragraphs. It had evidently been gotten up with a view to cheering her, and she read between the lines the kindliness which had prompted the joint authors to the deed. Jessica and Anne came next with loving letters that proved how completely one they were with her in spirit. A colourful account of the doings of the Harlow House girls at Overton College, as set down by Evelyn Ward, brought a smile of pleasure to Grace's face. One of the two remaining envelopes bore Arlene's mark. Grace's smile deepened as she opened it and saw, Dearest Loyalheart, you owe me a letter, but never mind. 
I am of a patient and forgiving disposition, so I'll overlook it. I have a very funny bit of news to write. Stanley Ford, the hateful old tyrant, has gone and engaged himself to be married again. Just like that. Don't think this is a case of sour grapes. I'm delighted. I'm sorry for the poor party of the second part, though. I know her well. She is a pretty but foolish young person who was in love with Stanley ages before he became betrothed to me. Of course he did it to spite Daffy down Dilly, but I'm not a bit spited. I feel as though I ought to go to the girl in the case and tell her what I know about him. But it's useless to think of doing so. Arlene devoted further space to affectionate inquiry regarding Grace's troubles and ended with the naive announcement. The other day I met a perfectly delightful young man at a dinner dance. He's as much interested in settlement work as I am and is as nice as Stanley Ford is horrid. Tomorrow he and father and I are going to motor out to the fresh air home father founded. He is anxious to see what we have done. Isn't that sweet in him? I do hope appearances aren't deceitful. I'll tell you more about him after I've met him a few more times. It is not wise, you know, to rush into friendships. With much love, you owe me two letters. Cautiously, Daffy Down Dilly. The last letter on the pile was from Emma Dean. Hastily running over the first page, Grace laughed outright. Listen to this, Elfreda, she commanded, her eyes dancing. Dearest and best beloved Gracious, Hark to the lamentations of a dean from darkest deanery, now transported to the grace-haunted region of Overton. When first I set foot in this desolate waste, my primary impulse was to lift my venerable voice in a piercing wail of anguish. Only my overwhelming respect for the powers which sit sternly in Overton Hall, and a well-founded fear that I might be bundled off the campus to some fell institution for the demented, prompted me to refrain from howling. But the desire to howl still lingers, and some fine day I shall meander moodily to Hunter's Rock, and there upon its lonely height startle the murmuring river below with my frantic cries. I shall stand well back from the edge of that perilous platform, however, as I have no malicious desire to deprive Overton of the best teacher in English Overton ever had, knowing to the English-speaking world as Emily Elizabeth Dean, who has now become a manageress. See Dean vocabulary. Confidentially speaking, I should not have minded so much leaving darkest deanery for this graceless wilderness if it had not been for the thought that your dear face would be missing in the picture. Do not rashly misjudge me by jumping to the conclusion that I parted with joy from the estimable deans of whom I am which. Bitterly did I regret leaving my sorrowing parents. It was not lack of filial devotion to them that made me yarn for Overton. A terrible shadow, or rather several shadows, has offered over hapless deanery for a week before I packed my belongings and fled. Our humble home has been turned over to an aggregation of ruthless individuals who paint houses for a living. Darkest deanery was once a timid shade of brown that grew even more retiring with years. Now it is a dazzling white, with still more dazzling grey trimmings. I can never forget that harmonious combination of grey and white as I have annexed copious samples of it to most of my meagre wardrobe. If only I had had the forethought to design a simple burlap costume with bag-like lines and putting away 
false pride warn it on all occasions during that last sad week at home i should not now be spending my leisure hours experimenting to discover the most officious paint eradicator on the market every time i hopefully remove a prized garment from my trunk i am confronted by the unhappy recollection that darkest deanery has been freshly painted it's positively maddening knowing my fatal leaning toward the absent-minded you can put two and two together they don't make four they make paint oh the supreme tragedy of that week how well i remember the afternoon when i sat down confidingly on the freshly furbished port-rail in my best pongee dress i was about to go to a luncheon i went but was late there was a reason by the time the front porch became a sticky glistening wonder i thoughtfully dropped my nice seal handbag in the middle of it the irate painter remonstrated not because i'd ruined my cherished possession but because of the horrifying blank left where paint had lately flaunted itself by the time it had dawned upon me that the back entrance to the house was the entrance for me it had also become a trap for the unwary there were frequent other accidental collisions with the aforesaid paint all equally disastrous to poor me some of them were known to me at the time some were among the things that were revealed thereafter i began to feel that the whole vast universe was chiefly composed of paint so i fled to the greater ill of an overton without grace harlowe as i have suffered deeply and shall continue to suffer until i can look my modest wardrobe in the face and say presentable at last i am certain that i deserve a special boon of consolation in plain english to which i still cling despite the fact that i dream of some day establishing a marvellous vocabulary of my own won't you and elfreda come to overton to see me if only for a day i have thought things over carefully before asking you it is not entirely selfishness that prompts the request i think it would cheer you to come again for a visit to harlowe house though i have replaced you as manager i can never replace you in the hearts of the girls here i understand why you may not wish to come as always my heart goes out to you if you write no as an answer i shall accept it in the best possible spirit but if you feel that you can drop in on me even for a day then i shall surely shriek with joy right here at harlowe house and abide by the consequences i have written elfreda too if both letters reach you at the same time and i shall mail them together then you can shake hands and congratulate yourselves that you have both been invited yours hopefully emma i'd love to go grace hesitated do you think it would be disloyal in me to leave oakdale now even for a day i thought it over seriously before i went to miriam's wedding that was really a duty you know but since jean has taken up tom's case it seems as though i am likely to hear something important within a few days you mustn't be too sure counselled elfreda wisely you might be disappointed it may take even jean a long time to find out anything i am not saying that to be cruel you don't need to tell me that i know i mustn't expect much even of jean yet i can't help thinking that if he doesn't find tom no one else ever will End of chapter twenty